We're going to start with our memory verse of the week today, and then we'll dig into the passage a little bit. But our memory verse, well, of the month, actually, is 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. So recite this with me. 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Why, why choose that memory verse for this month? Isn't this month about Thanksgiving? Isn't this month about giving thanks and preparing for Christmas? And I mean, Christmas music's already on the radio. Because we aren't following each other. We aren't following culture. We follow Christ. And so my desire is that you can boldly say, follow me as I follow the example of Christ we have a challenging passage of scripture in front of us today. You can turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 11. My conviction is that we preach the whole of scripture. No matter what it says, no matter what theologians debate about it, we preach all of scripture because we believe that this is the way we follow Christ. And we believe that this is our primary source. And so we boldly declare, follow me as I follow Christ, because we follow the Christ of the Bible, our Messiah, the anointed one. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11. As we get ready to dig into it, I want to tell you about a movie that I was watching. Uh, About two weeks ago, I, I was talked into watching the Disney movie Mulan. And in the Disney movie Mulan, it's a a wonderful story. And it actually was a really cool story for me to watch because my sister-in-law is from a remote village in China. And just this year, her sister, because they actually do have multiple kids in the remote villages, her younger sister actually had to meet with the matchmaker in order to be matched up with a husband that would bring the family more honor. This does actually happen in the world today. I mean, it was literally this year. And in the movie Mulan, Mulan is a character who has to meet with a matchmaker. And in this process of meeting with the matchmaker, things go horribly wrong. Because Mulan thinks outside the box. She does not act in a way that is culturally honorable. I love thinking outside the box. People sometimes accuse me of not even knowing that there was a box there because I'm so far outside of it. But there is a time and a place for thinking outside of the box. And there is a time and a place where we need to act with honor. And that's going to be what we're going to see here in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 2, is that as we worship our God, we must make sure that everything we do brings honor to our Savior. Part of following Jesus is making personal sacrifices to bring honor to our Savior. So with that in mind, Let's read 1 Corinthians 11, and we'll start in verse 2 today. Paul writes, I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the traditions just as I pass them on to you. But I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophecies with his head covered dishonors his head. 
but every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is the same as having her head shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair cut off. But if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off and her head shaved, then she should cover her head. A man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. It is for this reason that a woman ought to have authority over her own head, because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman, but everything comes from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory, for long hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. Okay, so let's dig into it. Let me summarize the passage before I even go any further. Let me give you my summary of the passage. We must be careful to ensure that our worship honors God. That's really what this is all about. We'll dig into all sorts of aspects of it, and we'll leave all sorts of aspects out because there's literally volumes written about this passage. But the summary statement is that our worship must honor our God. See, we have a need to honor God. That is why we're here, is for God, to give God the glory. And so we must focus on that in everything we do. God set up a divinely set way things are to be done. And so we need to honor God. And ultimately, I want you to keep this in the back of your mind. God is honored when we make prayer a priority. We'll wait till the end for that. But I want you to sort of have all of this in the back of your mind as we start in. So my first point, because God is not a God of disorder, we should conduct ourselves in a way that honors God's order. Because God is not a God of disorder, we need to conduct ourselves in a way that honors God's order. A few years ago, there was an Apache helicopter, a military helicopter that crashed. And as they investigated this crash, they, they discovered the following information. The helicopter was flying along the ground. There was a, a unit on the ground of soldiers. They were doing military drills. This wasn't in actual combat. It was in, in practice. There's a unit of soldiers that the helicopter was supposed to be simulating, providing support for. In the process of, of this conversation, there's two pilots in the helicopter. There's somebody in the back who generally is in charge of weapons somebody in the front who's generally in charge of actually flying the helicopter and in, in charge of the flight. And the group on the ground raided up to the helicopter and said, we've got new coordinates for you. Okay, we've got new coordinates for you. The person in the front who's flying the helicopter and the person in the back both hear this over the radio. The person in the back said, I've got it, at the same time that the person in the front said, you have the helicopter. What was happening is the person in the front was going to type the new coordinates in the computer. The person in the back, though, said, I've got it. He didn't say, I've got the helicopter. Most likely what he meant is, I've got the coordinates. 
Nobody was flying the helicopter. Seven seconds later, it crashed into the ground. Why? Because they didn't follow the proper order. Was the person in the back less important than the person in the front? Absolutely not. Was the person in the front more important than the person in the back? Absolutely not. Did the person in the front have a job to do? Yes, fly the helicopter. Did the person in the back have a job to do? Yes, enter in the combat coordinates. When they didn't follow the order, it cost them everything. See, God is a God of order. He's not a God of disorder. He has set up a way that things are done. He has a divinely established order. There is a divinely established order that exists. If you want to get into details, and we're we're not going to go into this today to the passage itself, but we could go to Genesis chapter 2. And what we read is the order of creation, the way in which things were created. God created Adam. God gave Adam a job. Adam's job was to care for the garden. And really, I think theologically, we can expand that. Adam was given the job of caring for cultivating the earth, of overseeing the earth. But guess what quickly was discovered? Adam couldn't do it alone. Adam needed help. It was too big of a job for Adam to do alone. Just like flying an Apache combat helicopter into combat, there is more that can be done than a single person can do. You need two people. So Adam needed help, and God created Eve to help Adam with this task. In God's creation, he created with purpose, with intentionality. And I love the way the first couple of verses of 1 Corinthians 11 ends, because God talks about The head of every man is Christ. The head of every woman is man. And just so that you're not offended, the head of Christ is God. Head here does not mean the one who is absolutely in charge. No. Head here has more to do with the one to whom submission is made. Jesus and God the Father are equal. They are both fully God. They are both fully God. But Jesus, in an act of divine order, submits to God the Father. And so Paul calls on the wife in the act of divine order to submit to the husband. It doesn't in any way mean they're inferior. See, God's order is not a measure of value or ability. It's a measure of submission. Just as Jesus submits to God the Father, Paul draws this parallel out. We've got in our culture ingrained this idea that submission is a bad thing, that there's these rankings, and the person who submits is always lower ranked. That's not actually the way it works, at least not in God's model, because Jesus submits to God the Father. No, submission is actually a good thing. Submission is the way in which God has ordained for society to function as a whole. Christ submits to the Father. We are to be submissive. So ultimately what it means is we can choose to either honor God's order or to dishonor God's order. 
I want you to see something. Submission is actually a choice that you make. You can choose not to submit. It's a bad choice, but you can choose not to submit. Submission is the key to interpreting this text. It's not value. It's not um, any measure of ability in this text. It's truly a measure of humble yourself to submit to the person that God has placed in that position. So I want to talk real quickly about this text in the first point. What does it not mean? This text does not tell us that a woman cannot work a job that is labeled as man's work. That is not in this text. We need to be careful that we don't read that into this text. It's not there. This text does not tell us that women can only find life satisfaction in marriage and childbearing. It's not in the text. Don't read it in there. That's not what the text says. It doesn't actually say that a woman's job is to serve man. It might push back on me there, but it doesn't. Submission is different than serving. The text tells us that there is a divine order of submission. That's the key of submission. So what does this look like? I will tell you, I don't do the finances in our house. I have no idea how much money we have. I don't care how much money we have. And when I do do the finances, I make mistakes and Emily can't figure out how much money we have. So you'd think I could add numbers. I can't. (laughs) It doesn't mean that I run the house, all the finances. No. Submission means, though, that if there's a big disagreement, ultimately, I'm the one responsible for making the final decision, and I bear the weight of responsibility. That's the idea behind submission. It doesn't mean that one person does all the work. It doesn't mean that one person sits on the couch while everyone else does the housework. That's not submission. Submission means that one person bears the final responsibility for the decision. So I want you to take an action step here. Because our society has all sorts of issues with this idea, I want you to honestly evaluate your perspective on God's order. Is your perspective God's perspective? Are you willing to recognize that God was purposeful in the way he designed creation and take God's perspective? I want to keep going, though, because I want us to go deeper. But before we go deeper, I want us to take a cultural diversion, cultural detour, so I can explain some culture that was going on in the Greco-Roman Empire at this time. So here's all sorts of details about practices going on in the Greek-Roman Empire. Men sometimes wore head coverings in the Greco-Roman Empire. Actually, the place they wore head coverings was a very specific place. When a man went into the temple of, say, one of the Roman gods or one of the Greek gods, so the temple of Zeus, and was praying before Zeus, the custom, the policy, was that you would take your toga and you would lift it up over your head. That was their custom. That was their policy. So when the Bible talks in 1 Corinthians 11, about a man wearing a head covering, it probably is a reference to men taking their toga and putting it over their head when they're praying before Zeus. That's the picture that I want you to have here. That's the sort of thing that's going on. 
There's one other situation that would go on. If a man was interested in homosexual activity, they would let their hair grow long, and that was a fairly universal symbol for everybody to recognize, oh, this person is interested in something abnormal. Okay? That's how you would communicate that, is by letting your hair grow long. So head coverings refer to the toga over the head. Head coverings refer to letting the hair grow long in order to symbolize an interest in homosexual activity. All right, for men, what about for women? There was also a custom, prostitution was running rampant in the Greco-Roman Empire, and the way that a woman would communicate that she was available for purchase was by shaving her head, cutting it short, or in some cities, not wearing something over her head. And that symbolized to everybody that this person is available for purchase. So a married woman would often wear something over her head to symbolize that they were not available for purchase. They had no interest in anybody else. We actually, by the way, we, we do have maybe not quite such a strong contrast, but there is a way that, that men and women do sim- signal to the rest of society that they are exclusively devoted to one person. It's a really simple way. Yeah, we actually do have a very similar custom. It's just not a head covering. So head coverings were something that they used. They were a cultural artifact that represented an important message, a really important message that it was communicating to people. And we need to understand that message in order to understand the passage. So what Paul says If you look at verses 5, every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. Okay. Head is a dual meaning there. Head at the first use means head. Head at the second use, we have to look back earlier in the passage, where it says the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is the man. By the way, woman and wife are the same word in Greek. So probably the way we should read verse Two is, or verse 3, is the head of the wife is the husband. And so when we come up here to verse 5, every woman who prays with her head uncovered dishonors her husband. By the way, this makes a lot out and be in front of a lot of people, a, a wife, and you notice that she's consistently leaving her wedding ring on the nightstand before she goes out. It raises question, culture, We actually abide by this culture even today. It's just, we don't use head coverings. We use something else to represent this. So what is the point that Paul is trying to make? Others are watching. And because others are watching, we should conduct ourselves in a way that brings honor to God. Others are watching us. And because others are watching, we need to conduct ourselves in a way that brings honor to God. I think really what Paul is saying here is don't get up in front of the church and advertise yourself. That doesn't have a, that's not good. Your goal when you're up in front of the church should not be seeking out a sexual partner. Sorry to put it so bluntly, but that's really what, what Paul's saying. No, your goal should be to bring honor to God. 
Why? Because our Christian conduct is often on display for all to see. Do people in your workplace know that you're a Christian? I hope so. I hope some do. And they watch you, and your conduct is on display. But if you are in church, especially if you're in front of a bunch of people at church, your conduct is especially displayed. See, our Christian conduct is especially displayed and judged when we are at church. Why? Because this is a public event where people come in and they watch. In fact, well, today we're not streaming video. We're streaming just audio because the camera is in the sanctuary waiting for us to move in there. But we stream it publicly for all to see. We put ourselves on display and we must ensure that when others are watching, our conduct must bring honor to God. The world rightfully expects us to show God. We should be showing God. It's a rightful expectation of the world. So our Christian conduct must never bring dishonor to our God. My main argument from this passage, people have used this to say all sorts of things about status of different people, about rights of different people. I think the point of this passage is that we need to make sure that everything we do especially publicly, brings honor to God and not some other agenda. You're welcome to have some sort of a political agenda. You're welcome to it. But this isn't the place for it. You're welcome to want to advance the rights of a particular group of people. It's a good thing. But this is not about that. This is about God and bringing honor to our God. I want to tell you a story. It's slightly, slightly related to this idea of bringing honor to God. Um, I was kind of crazy as a kid. You might say kind of then. What, what about now? Um, <laughs> those of you who know me know that I, I, I'm still a little crazy. But I, I was a little more crazy as a kid. And I used, to, I used to get in all sorts of trouble a lot of times. You know, at school, at home. But I distinctly remember at home one day when I was probably in like third or fourth grade and I had just gotten in a whole lot of trouble and I don't remember what I had done, but I remember walking into the kitchen and my mom looking right at me and saying, your dad loves his job. My dad was a pastor. Your dad loves his job. Do you realize that your behavior could cause him to resign. That changed my behavior. Like, at that moment, I was like, oh. And literally, I straightened up in a way that I had never straightened up before. And it lasted. Why? Because I didn't want to bring dishonor to my father, that he would resign his job. But when I read this passage, I look at it and I think, Paul's got all sorts of things to say here about God's order and our society pushes back against this. But you know what? It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about bringing honor to our God. And so whatever the cost, we should bring honor to our God. Let me give you an action step out of this. Evaluate your conduct. Does your conduct ever bring dishonor? To God. 
the point of the passage is that we are to honor our God. Does your conduct ever bring dishonor to God? Let me take just a brief detour because I haven't actually addressed several of the big issues in this text and giving you a, a formal decision on it. I'm going to tell you right now, theologians run the gamut on this text from people who will tell you that any time a woman walks into a church building, she should have her head covered and a man should never wear a hat into a church building to people who say we can just ignore the entire text. It's completely culturally situated. I mean, it, it's the whole spectrum that theologians hold to. Here's what I would say. I think the text is about honor. I think if that means, if your conviction is that you should wear a head covering, wear it, and nobody should uh, go after you for that. If your conviction is that you don't need to, don't, and nobody should go after you for that. The point is, are you honoring God? If your conviction is that you should not wear a hat when you pray in church, don't wear a hat. If your conviction is, that's not actually relevant to me because it's not a toga and I'm not worshiping an idol. That's fine. The point is, are you bringing honor to God? That is the point. But I think there's even part of a bigger picture here. I want to sort of close this out with a, a big point here. Because God is supreme, we should make prayer a priority. See, it's easy to look at a text like this and to focus on the do this, don't do this, act like this, don't act like this. But I want you to notice something. Throughout the text, there is an assumption being made and the assumption is that people are praying. See, because God is supreme, we need to make prayer a priority. Theologians battle over this text all all over the place. And they land all over the place. I shared that with you. But I, I feel like we're missing the point. The point is that we are to be honoring God and the way that that is done is in prayer. Look, there is an expectation here that men are praying. The text very clearly draws this expectation that men are praying. Ephesians 5, 21 through 33, I think gives us a good perspective on how men need to hold responsibility so if you'll look with me in your Bibles at Ephesians 5 and read with me verses 21 through 33. It says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and will be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, 
Each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. The reminder in Ephesians is a very strong reminder. Husbands, you have a responsibility to your wife and by extension to your family. To love, which implies that you are going to lead. Men should be leading their houses. Men should be praying men. The text tells us when you are praying. Corinthian men, when you're praying, make sure you're doing this that brings honor to God. The implication is that they're praying, that they're regularly engaged in prayer. It goes further though. There is an expectation in here that women are praying. This is the part that when people debate this text that they entirely seem to miss. The women are actively praying in front of the church. This is in a culture where women are not even allowed oftentimes in the same room as men. And the women are praying in front of the church. They are leading people in the church in prayer. And Paul says, when you do so, make sure you conduct yourself honorably. The implication here is incredibly strong. We need men and women praying in our church. Here's my action step. It's easy to focus on the limitations in a text like this. This is where everybody seems to get hung up. What does the head covering mean? Yeah, we could get hung up in that. We could debate that. And you're welcome to disagree with me on that, on what the head covering means. Like I said, if you want to wear a head covering, do it. If you feel like as a man, you should never wear a hat when you're praying, honestly, do what, what you're convicted to do. As long as you're praying, I truly don't care. But all too often, what we do is we debate this to the point that we actually neglect the thing that we're supposed to be doing, which is praying. That's the point. It's easy to focus on the limitations in a text like that. Don't do it. Determine here and now, rather, to practice the allowances of the text. We are to be a praying people. Let's make prayer our priority. Let's engage deeply in the practice of prayer. Pray with me. Father, I thank you for this text. An incredibly hard text that is debated, has been debated for nearly 2,000 years at this point. And people have landed all over the place. But you call us to just honor you. I am convinced the point is we need to honor you in our actions and that the action that we need to be taking is praying. I pray that you would make us a praying church where people are coming forward to pray, where people are leading in prayer, where prayer becomes such a natural extension of what we do that we actually can start looking at it and saying, are we honoring you in our prayer? But Father, the implication is that we're praying. And so I pray 
that you would instill within us a desire, a motivation, a draw to pray. Help us to be that sort of a church. In Jesus' name, amen.